The injustices that we hear about today will make you angry. But if you consider yourself an ally, and you're not angry, I challenge you to look inside yourself and interrogate why that is. We're in the English city of Oxford for a conference entitled Silence Will Not Protect You. It's been organised by a group of students at Oxford University who came together as a direct result of our investigation, Degrees of Abuse. Because if we are speaking up, it's because we have realised that our silence will not protect us, just as your loyalty, your fear and your silence will not protect you. In this episode of Al Jazeera Investigates, we explore what kind of impact our investigation on sexual harassment in British universities has made. We looked at how those institutions failed to protect women from abuse by their lecturers and other students. Our six-part series was released in late 2021 and the revelations continue to reverberate. After the series, another 50 women shared their stories with us. Several politicians publicly reacted to the investigation, including Annalisa Dodds, the Shadow Secretary of State for Women and Equalities. I catch up with her later in this episode. But first, let's go to the conference. reading this thing at the back of the program it's extraordinary i'm here with producer kevin hurton just describe what's going on right now so we are in somerville college and that's a really appropriate place to be because somerville was one of the first two oxford halls not even a college to admit women and extraordinarily oxford was one of the last universities in britain to allow women to get degrees. It wasn't until 1920, can you believe that, 1920, that women were allowed to get degrees from Oxford. But Somerville has been a hub of sort of female activity for 150 odd years, so it's a very good place for this conference. So there are not that many people here yet, but it's clearly going to be a really busy day. I don't know, it feels pretty buzzing right now. It does feel buzzing. You know, everyone's really excited to be here. Oh, I can see Alex. Alex Howlett was my co-presenter and fellow reporter from the podcast series. Hey. Hey. Hello. How's that going? Have you seen anyone? I've spoken to Mia and to Harriet, and we're going to catch up with them later in the day. The room quickly filled up. Speakers from all over the world, teachers, writers, activists are here, and an estimated 800 people have joined in person or online. Welcome all to Silence Will Not Protect Us, a symposium about transforming the silences around sexual violence, harassment, and the continuum of abuse in academia. We were all uh, contributors to complaints at Oxford uh, and contributors then to the Al Jazeera investigation. So many of you will probably recognize my voice from the second podcast episode. Alex and I spent two years researching this story. One woman after another came forward to share their experiences 
about the abuse of power by their lecturers. And in the first case, the accusations go back a very long time. Alex picks up the story in episode one of Degrees of Abuse. One of the earliest names we came across was Professor Andy Orchard. The more we dug, the clearer it became that his abuse of power stretched back over three decades, three universities and two continents. After studying at Cambridge, Andy Orchard began teaching there. That's where Ananya Kabir first met him in the early 1990s. But very quickly, Ananya began to feel uncomfortable. The culture was really one of going to the pub, having pints, male jokes, locker room humour. Ananya Kabir never found such things funny, as her students had to laugh along even when they found the underlying attitude offensive. So I left Anglo-Saxon studies. The field in which I had shaped myself and given my blood, sweat and tears. I didn't want to be in any kind of space where he was inhabiting because it was repulsive to me what I had seen. Alex Gillespie is now a vice president of the University of Toronto. Andy Orchard spent 13 years there. She recalled some of his abusive comments to her. I remember him saying, you are part of a queer, feminist, I believe he also said Jewish conspiracy. And then it started to get sexualized again. Well, I'll give you one last shot of testosterone across your bow. The two women professors were among six people who testified to Orchard's long history of drunken, abusive behavior to students and staff. Many, many more women have come forward since. Ananya and Alex weren't at the Oxford conference, so we checked in with them over Zoom. First, Alex Gillespie. The first thing I wanted to ask you was your personal reaction, really, when when you heard the podcast and, and you heard his name being spoken out loud in a way that it hadn't been before. I listened to my colleagues um, in their strong, clear voices. And, you know, like everybody, I think, who was involved, I cried, of course. Um, But I also felt a sense of justice, (laughs) which sounds slightly histrionic, doesn't it? Um, But I felt this, like, this is what it feels like when you stand up and you speak together. And it felt amazing, actually. Here's Ananya Kabir. It was very emotional, actually, Deborah. I mean, those few days, I was building up. When the podcast came out, suddenly I felt utter catharsis. It was a flood of relief. Then in the subsequent days, many people wrote to me, um, Deborah, many students, um, younger colleagues. People were writing, and the one thing they were saying is, we are grateful. Have you followed what's happened specifically to Andy Orchard and and to some of the others. I believe he's still drawing a salary and he seems to be still a fellow of the British Academy. It's a singular honour for um, an academic that the British establishment can bestow. Andy Orchard denied all the allegations in the original podcast. He's still an Oxford professor, but he stepped down from teaching medieval studies and a number of academic societies have cut their links with him. 
I just wonder, do you think we are seeing any kind of pivotal moment, any kind of sea change, or, or is that just sort of too hopeful, too much wishful thinking? No, what I would say is that we are seeing the accumulated effect of actually generations of women uh, and men and, um, and non-binary people pushing humans, pushing back against this kind of toxic, abusive, violent behaviour. Back at the conference, the morning sessions have wrapped up and it's lunchtime. Just describe where we are right now while we're doing these interviews. We're sitting in a classic Oxford quad. You've got lawns, you've got daffodils and primroses and crocuses and there are gardeners and it's just all beautiful. It has that kind of prestigious veneer to it, which I think is why so many people are so unwilling to break the silence. We catch up with Mia Lianagay and Kaylin Apple from the second episode of our series. They were both history postgrads at Oxford. In January 2020, they were joined by five staff, all lodging complaints of sexual harassment and drunkenness by an eminent history professor, Peter Thompson. Kaylin first talked about her experience on her YouTube channel. I am telling you guys this because I don't want it to ever happen to someone else but it seems that the institution is known for trying to cover certain things up. When we met, it was the first time Kaylin had been back to Oxford since the podcast. You've stood up, your voice has joined all the others. And yep. that, that must feel good, mustn't it? It's scary. It's scary. Still, even <laughs> a, now. A bit. Um, mostly, be- I think, because I still, I still occupy these institutional spaces. I still am at conferences with people who are connected to him. And I also am in his subfield. And so that has its own set of implications and challenges. It's something that it's not going away. I'm sticking with it. Me and I are with each other till the end on this. And Mia, were you at all worried about how the faculty, his colleagues, how the university would react and and, and what's your view of what has happened? I don't know that I was worried before it came out. I think I had a real sense of, well, you know, I've done the right thing. I was very confident. And then I realised after it did come out that I wasn't ready at all. I was worried that the faculty and the university would do nothing. Then I probably spent the first three to four weeks after it came out being completely immersed in it. I just did everything and I wasn't doing my job and I wasn't maintaining a social life and I wasn't do- I was just doing this. Mia lobbied hard along with other students, publicly demanding Oxford change the way it handles complaints against staff. She's also one of the organizers of this conference. Mia, if you had to sort of sum up what you want to come out of today, what would you say? I want the conversation to turn into action. There's been a phrase that's gone around the conference today, stop calling me brave unless you're willing to be brave yourself. There are some people, not many, who have turned those words into action. But until that actually happens, it will be left to usually the people with the least power and the most to lose. Peter. 
Peter Thompson chose not to reply to the allegations in the original podcast. Although the complaints against him were upheld, he's still an Oxford professor, but no longer teaching. During our investigation into sexual harassment at educational institutions, we also released several articles and short videos on Al Jazeera's iUnit website. One of those stories was about Harriet. She said she was sexually assaulted in 2019 by a fellow PhD student at Balliol College, which is part of the University of Oxford. He sexually assaulted me on multiple occasions when I was both physically and mentally unable to consent to any sexual activities. Harriet suffers from several long-term health problems and often needs strong medication to control the pain. She described the many ways she felt the college mishandled and ignored her allegations. I also went to the college chaplain, who's the head of welfare, Bruce Kingsley, and I told him that I'd been assaulted and I was going to report it. And the first thing that he said was that I should be wary about it because it could have a huge impact on his, the man who assaulted me, his life. In that same meeting as well, he asked me if I was aware of the effect that I had on men and called me very physically attractive. We met up again with Harriet in Oxford. So, Harriet, first of all, I know you've been one of the organisers of today. What do you make of it all now? It's all happening. It's truly amazing to see it all uh, come to fruition. Seeing a lot of young, active and angry students at these events is making me feel that we are making progress and we are scaring these old institutions into change. For you personally, what was the impact of the series? Because Balliol, it would be fair to say, didn't seem particularly sympathetic to your story when it came out. No, I think... Ever since I've spoken out against Balliol, I've just received hostility, open hostility, um, quite frankly. It's been very disappointing to see, however, the students have been incredibly supportive. After we published our investigation, students formed Balliol Community for Safety. They accused the college of failing to protect students and putting Balliol's reputation over Harriet's well-being. When students protested at the college gates as parents arrived for a formal dinner, Harriet herself confronted Balliol's master, Dame Helen Ghosh. Do you need every single rape victim to have an Al Jazeera documentary made about them? Of course I do. I just didn't want you to be uh, preventing our guests from coming into the college to have their dinner. And we haven't been. And we are in a dialogue. And I'm. It seems like you care more about the dinner than you do about the rape victims, to of be honest. Of course I don't care about more about dinner than about the rape victims. If anyone believes they are a rape victim in Bayonne, I urge them to come forward. Helen Ghosh appeared to say she didn't entirely believe Harriet's accusations. So you have disagreements with some of the testimony that I made about my rape case? That you made in the Al Jazeera video? Yeah. yeah. OK. Balliol College told us it's deeply committed to the well-being and safety of students and staff and determined to reflect that in its practices. It's opened an independent inquiry led by a barrister to investigate its handling of recent allegations and intends to implement its recommendations. We also received lawyers' letters saying our account of Canon Hinsey's response to Harriet was unfair and irresponsible and that Dame Helen Ghosh did disagree with some of Harriet's original allegations. 
In episodes three and four, we travelled to Scotland to investigate how Glasgow University dealt with complaints by six women of grooming by a former geography lecturer. This is how they described Ian Shaw's behaviour. It started out as intellectual, then it became emotional, and then it became sexual. It was me and him in a room where the door was always closed and occasionally locked as well to ensure privacy. That it was very easy for work chat to slide into this completely inappropriate and manipulative conversation. He said that he was no longer sexually attracted to his wife, but she was still very sexually attracted to him and that what some couples do is they have a polyamorous relationship. To me, like, really made me feel like he was asking me if I wanted to have sex with him. I obviously very much did not. Glasgow University told Al Jazeera they recognised they needed to work harder to prevent abuse, to educate and support survivors. They've initiated an independent investigation and review of their complaints procedures and support networks. Ian Shaw called the original accusations upsetting and untrue. He'd already moved on to a job at Leeds University. In March 2022, Leeds announced that he was no longer a member of staff, but gave no details about the circumstances of his departure. The fourth story we investigated was about a PhD student at Glasgow University, Zaid Khan. Several women described his abusive and deceitful behaviour. A former lecturer there, Dr Rebecca Harrison, says Khan tricked her into a date by not telling her he was one of her students. Here's what she said in the final part of our series. And so I had to keep pulling my hand away from him and saying, please, can you not do that? This is making me quite uncomfortable. I just want to remind you it's not a date. And then after me categorically saying no to him kissing me, he just grabbed my face and forcefully kissed me and put his tongue into my mouth and I pulled away. So in June 2018, Becca filed a formal complaint to Glasgow University's Senate office. And within a week or two weeks, I had a phone call from someone in the Senate office saying... I've just had your complaint and there are three other complaints against him from other women outside of the university and there is a police case against him. Khan's story confirmed several wider issues. When universities don't hear multiple complaints about the same man together, it becomes a he-said-she-said situation. And when the police are involved, as they were with Khan, the university stops their investigation. Although Khan never faced any criminal charges, it meant the university process dragged on for months. We caught up with Becca Harrison at the conference in Oxford. So, updates, what's happened, do you know? So, absolutely nothing has happened to Khan whatsoever from the university end. Since the broadcast, it has been exceptionally depressing. And it also feels like our case in particular just got ignored and left behind. So while there was broad support for women at other institutions and across a discipline, 
in the other case at the University of Glasgow, we just got left to rot. Like no politicians got back to us. No senior members of the university responded to us. There was no apology to me. We, it really just feels like we've been excluded. Do you think one of the reasons is that in the other two big cases, you had an, a known, or three cases really, you had a known named academic who many people knew from their studies, past and present. So somehow the case had more profile, whereas with Khan, he was like a one-off PhD student. Yeah, you would have hoped that people would have joined up the dots a bit. You know, there were two cases at the University of Glasgow. This is endemic. This is not about one PhD student. This is about multiple abusers at different levels of their career. And, and, and you can get away with it even as a PhD student. That's, I think, the, the message that I was hoping people would take from that. Despite promising to improve their policy, by April 2022, Glasgow University had still not heard complaints against Zaid Khan by two other women. He initially denied all their allegations, threatened to sue Al Jazeera and demanded compensation. Since then, we've heard nothing more from him. Before the original podcast, both Oxford and Glasgow gave us almost identical statements, that they take all allegations of sexual harassment very seriously. Yet after the podcast, they both announced some form of review to improve their procedures. That begs the question, should sexual harassment policy be left to individual institutions or is there a role for central government? So I'm now outside Westminster. I'm going to see Annalisa Dodds and she, she has a triple role in all of this. She's an Oxford graduate She's one of the Oxford MPs, but she's also the opposition minister for women and equalities. And she wrote to Oxford's vice-chancellor straight after our podcast, expressing what she called her grave concern at the stories that she was hearing. Can I ask you first of all, what was your reaction to the podcasts? Well, I was very concerned to hear about the experience of numerous women who'd been subject to sexual harassment at Oxford University. Um, as a constituency MP for Oxford, I have been aware of a number of different cases, some of them historical, some of them live cases, and I've spoken with some of those who've been affected. And you know, clearly it's had a, an incredibly major impact on them, often lifelong in terms of disrupting their studies, impacting on their mental health. And very often they feel that appropriate action has not been taken and that they've suffered as a result of that. I would say this is not something that has just impacted on Oxford University. It's a problem right across the UK higher education sector, but I'm really pleased that you know, Al Jazeera has been looking into the situation at Oxford University. We went to a conference at Oxford. They had something like 800 people tuning in from around the world. It was really impressive. The thing we heard over and over again was women saying, we don't want to be called brave. We actually just want to get on with studying and getting our degrees. We can't make change. We're not the ones in power. Someone like you, you are in a position of power. What can you do? Well, what I have been doing is working very closely with a number of those victims as their constituency MP, so I'll continue to push on that side. That is going to need action, though. I mean, what is that action going to be? I think that action means, above all, focusing on the kind of things that I've mentioned. You know, where is the accountability? Where are the clear 
reporting lines? Whose responsibility is it to take action? You know, making that clear from the beginning. But I think there's another part to this as well, which came out in your podcast, which is that, you know, by the time that anybody makes a complaint, very obviously the behaviour has already happened. The culture has already been there that has enabled that behaviour. Of course, we've got to sort out the disciplinary process, but we've got to be fixing that culture from the beginning as well. You know, we shouldn't have a situation in the 21st century where we've got female students who feel that they are not safe at university, that they're being treated differently, that, for example, they've got to change supervisor, they've got to go to a different seminar, they've got to behave differently to their tutor because they're the victim. That's got to end. Does it feel like a pivotal moment then? Does it feel like there is a momentum for that change? Because otherwise... Everybody says the same thing and they say it one year, two year, five years on. Well, that's the problem. And I think we have to be dogged in following up all of these issues. That's always been my approach. You know, I think in particular, the Me Too movement obviously was a turning point. It did mean more of a focus on sexual harassment. But we can't just assume that, you know, a bit of social media activity around this, for example, and rhetorical support coming from different institutions is really going to lead to that step change. We've got to change the processes and change the culture. And then we've got to monitor and make sure that that's feeding through into effective action. Well, I'm still not any clearer on what role there might be for central government in promoting change. Will it have to be driven more by the women themselves, like those at the Oxford Conference? Welcome to our first post-lunch session. Um, I hope you guys are all feeling energized and ready for yet another fantastic session with some fantastic speakers. Hi, uh, my name's Deborah Davis. I'm a I was one of the speakers. And with my colleague Alex, wave your hand, make yourself known, whose idea it was to start on the podcast, and Kevin, who's come over from D.C., the title of the conference, Silence Will Not Protect Us, echoed exactly my experience as an investigative journalist. I've made, sadly, a lot of films, because there are a lot of films to be made, about rape, about domestic violence, about sexual abuse. And 20-odd years ago, I made a film about the rape and sexual abuse of young boys by their football coaches. And it went out to deafening silence. And so actually with Kevin, we made a follow-up and we called it Football's Wall of Silence because that wall of silence had protected their abusers for decades. And it is the same pattern here. In Degrees of Abuse, we could name four men accused of sexual harassment because in each case, multiple women spoke out. And the key to that is corroboration. When it comes to complaints... It seems to me as an outsider absolutely crazy that the university tries to hear them singly because the very nature of sexual harassment is that you don't do it to one person. It is a pattern of conduct. Of all the issues that came out from the podcast, to me that was the biggest single issue. Hear these complaints together because they belong together. So I would encourage you to keep your voices loud this has momentum. If you don't keep making waves, then like ice, the silence will close in over the top of you. Before the day was over, I caught up with Mara Kira. She was one of the members of the history faculty at Oxford. 
she'd long endured Peter Thompson's behaviour and finally saw their complaints against him upheld, although he only stepped down from teaching after the podcast. What were the noises coming out of the faculty as a result of the podcast, do you think? Entitlement. The sense that how dare they? We've taken care of it. We can't relitigate it. So what do you want them to do? I don't think that institutions should wait until a problem is endemic. They need to act quickly and with zero tolerance. They need to fire people. It comes down to that, does it? As simple as that, the safety of the students and the safety of the community is more important than someone's individual privileges and perks to prey on young women. It's getting late. We're anxious to get back inside for the closing remarks. On the walk back, Mara offers a final thought on the impact of our series, Degrees of Abuse. What you have done, what this report has done, is so important. It has been such an important catalyst, bringing out more stories, bringing out activism, making people see the parallels between institution and the oppression that is not individualized, but systemic and structural. You totally took the lid off. And you researched deeply enough to name names. And that was the key. That was the key. Here's how one of the organisers closed that long, powerful and emotional day at the conference. If you are a predator at the University of Oxford, we have already heard your name whispered after seminars, or even scribbled in the book margins of your own books. Nothing stays silent forever. Thank you very much. That's it for this episode of Al Jazeera Investigates. It was produced by Kevin Hurton with additional reporting from Alex Howlett. Craig Pennington is our audio editor. Clean Cuts did the final sound mix. The show's executive producer is Joe DeFrias and Phil Reese is Al Jazeera's director of investigative journalism. Listener.